A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Winning is a Mindset, Not an Offset. That title provided by Rich Kwamza on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. Join me for the USA Grand Prix race review. It is one of my favorite race weekends of the year, and I was not disappointed. America does a lot I like. America likes to put on a show, and the Circuit of the Americas has style and substance. It's the best modern racetrack, full stop. But mostly, I want this show just to reflect the joy I felt today watching Three current superstars of Formula One battling it out. Some maybe in their prime still, some approaching their prime and, and some launching towards stardom. So coming up, we'll discuss how might Hamilton have won that Grand Prix? What demons was Verstappen facing on his brake pedal? Did the sprint race add or take away from the weekend? And we'll ask who sounded the saddest over team radio and why was it Leclerc? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by a kindly American. It's Matt Two Rumpets. Hey, Matt. Quiet. I'm breaking. Uh, should I not speak to you in the speaking breaking zones? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> you can only speak to me in the waking zones. I saw someone made that joke in our show title attempts. It was a good one. But it's not like they sorted that out straight away. There was like three separate don't talk to me in the breaking zones. By the end of it, I'm pretty sure Lambiassi was just waiting on the talk radio. Right. He's coming down the main street. He's coming down I the main street. I wouldn't put it past I'll, him. I'll, I'll show him to tell me when and when I can't talk. And then as soon as he gets into the breaking zone, hey, Max. Um, you having a nice day? You, you good? You know, fam family good? <laughs> Remember your drink? <laughs> Remember your drink. And we are joined in the shed by Essex streamer, Scott Stuffy Tuffy. Hey, Scott. 
Spanners, I think it was an intriguing weekend with some conspiracies floating around. I've got some conspiracies um, to get off my chest. Oh, that that is uh, good. I think have some validation to them. Okay, just know that like my job will be to pour cold water on them and be like, Scott, you're going crazy, but just know between you and me, like I'm all in. I am drinking what you're serving up. Definitely. Looking forward to it. And uh, to stick uh, on the Essex County borders, we have Antonia Rankin. Hey, Antonia. Hi. Yeah, whilst everything is bigger in America, unfortunately for Ferrari and McLaren, not everything is faster. No. So Ferrari and McLaren, like we could have predicted, and I did predict before the shows, that that this kind of layout and a traditionally highway circuit was never going to to suit them uh, but at least at least the ferrari fans got some false hope for a little while it, it, it's easy to forget that leclerc started this grand prix on actual pole position yeah finishing p6 was probably pretty sobering for the monogasque driver wasn't it and every ferrari fan watching at home but i'm sure by now they've learned not to have too much hope poor ferrari fans just on the floor rocking and they go look do you remember we talked about it in uh, was it singapore where they had their happy happy day i wonder how long <laughs> i wonder how long that lasted before they now go back to no we, we've gone back to expecting nothing i'm pretty sure the sad sad is back <laughs> the sad, and here to stay <laughs> the sad sad's back uh, but not for missed apex as we get on with our race review Okay, so actually a bunch of strategy in this race. We're going to kick off straight away with could Mercedes, could Lewis Hamilton have won this race? But I think the first thing I want to say is, look, when there isn't a straight one stop, when the tyres get to the point where on genuine wear, not like Qatar, but on genuine wear, we have to have more than one stop, F1 delivers classic races. Antonio, are they ever going to get to the point where they just out and out acknowledge that the best Formula One is is a two-stop or beyond? Mm, I don't know, because whilst I do agree, I do think we had a fantastic race today, especially towards the latter stages. When we saw mandated pit stops, for example, a couple of weeks ago, it didn't really add much to the race. It made the race very predictable. It meant that nobody really saw proper degradation. So in terms of mandating pit stops, which I've seen a few fans suggest might work, that wouldn't really make things more interesting. And the only step that could be taken aside from that would be Pirelli deliberately making the tyres wear down, even more so than they already do. So yeah, we had a fantastic race today. I think small adjustments could be made perhaps to future races to encourage pit stops. But um, yeah, the more pit stops, the more strategy, the better. And that does leave us wide open, Matt, to the the thing we find most intriguing, which is teams working their way through a tyre strategy. Obviously, like the drivers have got to do the overtaking and the, the engineers have got to deliver some race pace. But that tyre strategy in, in, in the normal course of a Grand Prix having troughs and, and peaks of excitement, the tyre strategy is the thing where you go, right, I'm staring at the live timing. And like this was one of those races. I was watching it a lot in the live timing screen. Yeah, in in the sense that the live timing is just enthralling because you you understand the stakes involved. And this, you wish every track it would work out like this, but they brought the correct tires for the race. Not so much, I think, for the spread, but certainly for the race, they brought the correct tires. The pit delta was around 20 seconds, so it was manageable. And there was just enough performance in it for no one to really know, at least until we watched Carlos Sainz easily blow past poor old Charles Leclerc, 
whether the one stop or the two stop was going to be the way to go. And even then, just inverting the order of the tires gave us like just a classic nail biter all the way to the last lap. Okay, but I just want to be clear that them not knowing in the moment which was the best way to go doesn't stop us judging it in hindsight and going, well, they definitely should have done this, that or the other. No, judgy pants are going on right now. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I was sat there thinking this is actually getting really interesting because it seemed even the teams weren't quite sure what direction they were going to take until they did. Other than McLaren, who I think were too reliant on their pre-race planning for those two sets of hard tyres, I think they would have benefited from the medium towards the end of the race. But then again, with a lighter fuel load, that would have complicated things. But I think a lot of the teams were really reliant on data from other drivers to dictate their decisions later on, especially given that there were two pit stops for the majority of the teams you know i think there was a lot of reactive pit stopping a lot of reactive tire choices and yeah that made things really exciting i I love that we're already like deep into the weeds because i i definitely i when we get to mclaren i want to argue with you on that tire choice as well um you know they were struggling on the hards uh, but i think definitely hone in on could lewis hamilton have won this race stuffy you know it was it felt like early on it, there was there was a, a goal there to be to be to be had, but it just seemed to just always be a, a slightly out of grasp. Uh, the short answer is yes, he could have done. Max of oh, the Red Bull wasn't its supreme self that it has been all year. Uh, there's a varying reasons for that. Probably them stopping development and probably focusing on next year, and obviously this circuit being a lot bumpier than other circuits, and predominantly the Red Bull has struggled at uh, bumpy circuits where they've had to uh, increase the ride height and not run the car as low as possible with this new down, um, this, sorry, ground effect era, the, obviously the floor has to be run as low as possible, which is why we saw the porpoising effect and Red Bull was still able to kind of maximize that performance. But yes, um, there was a number of reasons. Mercedes obviously dilly-dallying with kind of their pit stop, not deciding what, they kind of want to go for a one stop, then a two stop. Um, and then Lewis having to make up so much time, not mm. being able to overtake Charles quick enough and Norris. And okay. and for me, the big one, my first conspiracy of the night, guys. <laughs> okay, is, let's go for it. Is Danny Ricardo conveniently coming out <laughs> yeah. in front of, but behind Max, <laughs> in front of Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton. And this was the <laughs> this was the lap where Hamilton got past Norris and as Anyone who's paid attention this whole weekend, the dirty air of the cars was tricky. Those who were following, even Max today, struggled in dirty air. In the sprint race, he was clear out in front and he drove away with the with the wing comfortably. But Lewis got caught up by Ricardo, who has gone onto a set of convenient soft tires and ran three <laughs> laps on the fast. same pace as Lewis. And if anyone kept an eye on the lap times. Lewis lost out and it was, I think it was three laps or so. And once he cleared Danny Rick, he was like on the back of Max okay. and so- he needed one more lap. So first conspiracy of the night is did Red Bull or did Mr. Helmet Marco call Alpha Tauri and say, bring him in now and okay. send him out. So I have to <clears throat> hang on. Let me put on my corporate voice. I disagree strongly just because the junior team, which is an entirely separate entity and makes its own decisions, just because their driver came out behind 
the lead Red Bull driver and in front of the driver that was catching them up are inexplicably on a soft tyre that was not good for overall strategy. And that cost Lewis Hamilton enough time to deny him the race win. Just because all of those things are true, does how dare you, in fact, how dare you say I'm that sorry, Alpha Tauri, they, they can't, Alpha Tauri do not deserve that kind of conspiracy from you, Scott. But, I, but it does look dodge. I smell hypocrisy, Spanners. <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> My word, there you are every other weekend yapping on about, oh, they're the B team for Red Bull. Alpha Tauri are doing everything to benefit Red Bull. How convenient. I'm so surprised you aren't agreeing with Stuffy here. No, no. But, late that, night devil's advocate no, speaking. Be, because you know me, the, the uh, no conspiracies are ever true. But the thing is, I do see the argument here. Whilst I, whilst I do agree, it's a bit of a stretch. Yes, it's a conspiracy. I think if there were any substantive evidence to prove this had happened, then there would be big trouble for Red Bull and Alpha Tauri. However, you must admit it looks convenient, <laughs> conveniently coming out on the soft tyre, which no, wow. did not suit the car, did not perform well. And yes, holding up Lewis Hamilton just enough so as to, uh, 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 to avoid him the race win. Yep. It definitely looks bad. Okay, I'm going to have to pour cold water on this again because for this to carry any weight, there would have to be several previous instances of Alpha Tauri drivers being deployed to hold up Lewis Hamilton in a competitive situation. And no one can remember a single one. Uh, But I do want to focus on could Lewis Hamilton have won this race? Now, all of this is caveated by the fact we're recording quite soon after the race. And Chris Medland has tweeted. And if Chris Medland hasn't tweeted it, it didn't happen. Breaking news, Hamilton and Leclerc referred to the stewards for issues with the plank in post-race checks. They, If you fail a post-race technical check, says Chris, it's usually a disqualification. So firstly, I would like to say to the FIA stewards, leave Charles Leclerc alone. He has suffered enough. Yeah, His punishment it was baked into the race. Ferrari strategy. <laughs> so what we're going to do, we won't discuss that specific, uh, that specific uh, penalty uh, unless we get breaking news during the race that that has has occurred and he has been penalised. So just a brief translation of this for those who, because the wording of this is quite yeah. confusing. The plank is a board underneath the car made out of wood. If it's worn too thin over the course of a race, that means that the car has been run too close to the ground. The car is hitting the ground and scraping the wood away, basically. And that's how the FIA know that a team yeah. has been running the car too low to the ground. This kind of came about more... Um, in the new era of F1 since the aerodynamic regulations came in and porpoising was a thing. Um, But I'm kind of surprised to see it at this race. I mean, Cota is a relatively high downforce circuit. So the car, yeah, you'd want to run it close to the ground, but you've got one really long straight. I don't know. I wasn't expecting to see it here, especially, I don't know. I I think it's an interesting potential penalty to be given, especially given that it's on only one of each team's car, not both, which means they've got different setups. Um, But yeah, no, I think it's definitely an interesting thing to highlight because it suggests that both of those cars were running very close to the ground at a circuit where I wouldn't have called that. Yeah. And also just to note that plank is also an affectionate term for a Royal Artillery gunner, although you'd never catch me using that phrase. It's also an exercise. Uh, What I find interesting about this (laughs) is that it plays into something that Scott mentioned earlier. Uh, which is that I think one of Mercedes' biggest advantages at this track is the fact that it was quite bumpy, and that made both Red Bull and Ferrari and uh, McLaren, their nearest rivals, 
have to run a higher ride height than is really comfortable for them. But Mercedes, because they went with the fabulously flawed Zeropod concept at the beginning of the year, I think have been stuck generally not being able to lower the car as much as they'd like at most tracks. But the flip side of that is they have figured out how to optimize the car at higher ride heights. So I think actually the bumps at this track was a big advantage for Mercedes. And I'm quite surprised to hear that they're potentially uh, have infringed on the technical requirements for Plankware along with Ferrari, that, that, uh, that, that it's only one teammate each time round. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. But for now, let's take the results as classified after the race and talk about whether Lewis Hamilton could have have won. So one of the key elements in this battle was the 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 timing of the pit stop. So to set the scene, well, we all watched the race, but to set the scene, Lewis Hamilton was ahead of Verstappen. Verstappen was fighting his way from sixth place. Charles Leclerc, if you remember, did actually start this race on pole, but Lando Norris was in genuine pole position for for winning this race but matt it all kind of unraveled a little bit in the the first pit stop phase so they they all started on mediums they Uh, all started on mediums uh, yeah there was a couple of hard yeah yeah, down starters in the pit lane later some chances in the pit lane but yeah so max verstappen pulls the trigger now the first thing i thought on on the when when max verstappen came in was hamilton looked way more comfortable on that medium than Lando Norris. So the best case scenario for Mercedes would have been no pit window to drop into, nobody pits, and this first stint gets extended. And in in that circumstance, let's say they weren't allowed to pit for some reason, Hamilton was going to do, he was doing his normal stalk. He was doing his 2019, 2020 stalk where he was holding his distance. And then I, I think he would have chewed up Norris had they been forced to go longer. But Verstappen you know, rolled the dice and, and set off a cascade of pit stops. And I think this is where Mercedes fell down. Well, I'm going to disagree about halfway with you. To me, this this reminds me of, you know how you had that friend when they were young? No, this isn't about a pub. You had, and they, oh, they, had like a, they had like just a temper. You could say one thing to them and I, they'd immediately be yelling at we you. We shouldn't say the name of the people we're thinking about because I want to protect Rob Smith at all costs. Okay. But then those people get into their 40s and you can you can they can go a while before they get angry. But like that fundamentally that that hair trigger still lives on. <laughs> OK, well, in Mercedes, you remember how much trouble they've had warming up the tires at the beginning of the race. To me, I think I still see a hint of that in the character of their car. And so what we have is Lewis Hamilton getting the tires into the right place pushing hard, coming on, catching Norris with Verstappen behind him. And then Max, surprisingly to me, this was the first hint, I think, that everything wasn't right at Red Bull, tries to undercut to get ahead. And that's not, that's not something you'd expect from a car that generally does very well with tires and shows increasing performance the longer into the stint you go. That's not where their bread and butter lies. 
Yeah, I would completely agree, especially going back to what you said about tyre wear. This is a really difficult circuit for tyre wear because the load on the rear tyres is so much higher than on the front tyres, which basically means if you push too hard in the first two thirds of a lap, by the final sector, Mm. your rear tyres are gone, you've lost your traction. And that's why we saw so many track limits, so many issues around those final turns on the track. So in theory, yeah, Mercedes having struggled with tyre wear and Red Bull having notably not there should have been more of a performance gulf between them. So I think, in a way, Mercedes probably pulled up to this race and on the radio to Lewis went, yeah, actually, mate, funnily enough, we're doing okay. And I don't think they were expecting that. So yes, a lot of their decisions today were very reactive, but great to see them up there. Whether Lewis could have won the race, I don't think so. Like I said, a circuit like Cota does exaggerate oh. tyre wear differences. Everyone but yell at Antonia there. now. <laughs> so I think I think Scott disagrees. Um. I think there's a number of reasons other than just strategy that Mercedes could have won this race. I saw a great quote earlier after the race, that we're forever talking about the driver and the car in F1, but today really showed how important the team element is and how all of the other, um, the strategists, uh, the, the engineers, how important they are to a race win. And in particular today, Mercedes on a number of fronts, as we already said, kind of Dilly dallied a little bit on whether they wanted to commit to a one stop, uh, go for the suboptimum strategy, and then yeah, I'm I'm surprised they tried to do that because a few years ago Lewis got stung by a stick into a one stop strategy and then got lost the race win to his own teammate who was on a two stop. So one stop's never been preferable at Cota, as Antonio has said, due to the load that he's put through the tires at this circuit. It is quite harsh, Ooh. especially if you get high temperatures, and then. Also, their pit stops, once again, Mercedes for years and years now have just been suffering with their pit stops. They are so, I can't remember the last time they had a 2.5 second, 2.6 second pit stop. It is always in the mid three second range. Mm. And there's, it's all hypothetical of like what ifs and buts. But if you look at that over the course of the years, the amount of seconds they've lost over the course of a race, especially when you've got a two stop race, I think compared to Red Bull and McLaren, at least lost probably three seconds, if we're being generous, um, over the course of this race, which was the potential, would have put him, theoretically in air quotes, ahead of Verstappen. So operationally, Lewis even said it after the race, they need to improve. See, Rankin, this is where you're going to struggle if you say that Mercedes couldn't have won this race. I think Scott's going to keep coming back with small (laughs) factors, and I think it's going to be death by a thousand cuts well it would be wouldn't it from scott can i just say for our dear listeners who can't see the screen at the moment not only is scott sat there in that a is dying shirt, of death right now he, oh my god mercedes he shirt also yeah. has yeah, a well, lewis a... hamilton poster and a mini replica helmet so as the I'm non-partisan a... member because spanners <laughs> doesn't get a say listen here. i was trying to give off positive energy today okay <laughs> I really wanted Lewis to do well, and I thought, why not put on the team colours? Well, um, whilst you were burning your candles and doing your rituals, he unfortunately <laughs> came P2. I yeah. hate to break it to you. Thanks for reminding wow, me. Wow, that was a murder ranking. All, murder. all I'm wow. saying is there might <laughs> be some bias, dear listeners, on okay, this Okay, that's fair. And we don't mind that. We're, we are not adverse to bias. I, I tend to say to people, like, admit your bias. And Scott is quietly sitting there with a Lewis Hamilton poster, mini helmet and top. Matt. I've now remembered exactly why I'm terrified of Antonia, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So 
But I want to bring it back to the first stop. So Yes, yes, but key. I, I also want to point out that what we're talking about here isn't quite whether or not Lewis could have won. The question is whether or not, under the right circumstances, Lewis would have been within, let's say, DRS of Max and had to go by the yeah. final lap. Because I think that's really what it is. Whether or not he could have won is an entirely separate, unwinnable discussion that you don't ever want to have on Twitter. Just trust me on this. But oh, whether or not he could late. have caught Max and been fighting for the win, that's what we really want to talk about here. And, and I want to start with the magic lap. And to me, I don't think the answer was to have tried to undercut Norris, which would have pitted him the same lap as Max. That means Max would have been behind him, but Max would have been behind him on a medium tire. He would have been on a hard tire. And we saw Max eventually catch Lando and pass him with that medium tire. The same would have happened to Lewis, I do believe. However, the real issue here is I went through and I looked at the stint lengths of that, of anyone who put on the hard tire. The longest stint was 21 laps. And that was done by Logan Sargent. So I'm just not going to take that as an entire bellwether here. And I'm going to say that he could have pitted earlier than he did, specifically lap 18. His hard tire would have gone 19 laps. He could have still put on the medium. And he was okay. 22 and change ahead of Max, which means he would have come out either right with Max or slightly in front of him. So this is the key... I yeah, sorry, Matt. Yeah. This is the key that you've touched on. The key thing that's been bothering me is that Correct. Hamilton had lots of tire left at the end of the race, and that a critical period where they kept him out. And on the radio, they asked both drivers. They said, "Right, well, Hamilton, Lewis, do you do you think you can do another five laps?" He's like, "Nah, nah, it seems a bit sketch." They asked Russell, and Russell was like, "Yeah, no, no problem." But Russell was going around quite a bit slower than Hamilton. I saw you. Uh, yeah, Hamilton used his tires harder at the beginning. And honestly, when it comes to tire wear, I don't think Russell is necessarily always yeah. the best judge. No, so like they, they, but they seem to initially listen to Russell and then went, oh, no. they look at the lap times. You look, if you were watching the lap times and you should be, the, the best way to enjoy an F1 race is to look at the F1 provided lap times. I think it's like $2 a month to subscribe to that in the UK. It, it's it is definitely worth it. it. Increases the value. You could see as they were having this argument, Hamilton's lap times go out and out, and you go right. And they saw, obviously Mercedes saw that and went, "We've made the wrong shout here. We need to dial it back and get him in." But again, then they were just cut. They were stuck between two strategies, Matt. And and this is the key thing as well. I think Mercedes were going for a one stop, got confidence from Russell going, "It's completely fine," and then realised they were wrong and got stuck in no man's land. I think they were really playing for the medium in the last stint, especially because they knew Max had put on the medium and they had a really good idea of when he was going to have to pit, when that performance was going to start to drop off for him. In fact, they probably thought he was going to go a bit longer, which might have been what ultimately influenced their thinking to keep Lewis out later. They thought Max would be able to extend that second stint, not realizing he had other issues he was coping with that was not going to make that work the way Red Bull wanted Looking at the actual numbers from the race, he could have gone to lap 18, pitted, and theoretically been out about a half a second to a second ahead of Max. And that was the situation mm. that potentially wins him the race. The first of 
because as Scott mentioned yeah. earlier, there's about five <laughs> or six things we're going to wind up running into that all cost him time in this race that right. kept him from catching Max. But yeah, that was the first and I think the biggest. Yeah, lots to unpick in that. Going back to lap 18, yeah, Verstappen could have... Verstappen pitted lap 16, so there was room for Mercedes to be reactive there whilst still staying relatively close. At that point, I don't know what they were thinking with strategy as in where their heads were at, because like I said, I don't think they'd clocked that they could potentially win the race until a good chunk into it. Uh, apparently, Bruce says Toto said they, they were going for a one-stop, uh, but stint one made them decide no. Well, there you go. Part two. For the final laps, when it comes down to tyres, it didn't matter whether one of them had two laps more, three laps more. It didn't come, it wouldn't have come down to that. If the race had two more laps and Verstappen and Hamilton were where they were, but just two more laps on the race, I still don't think Lewis could have taken Verstappen because going back to the physics and the, the genealogy of the track, he would have pushed so hard in the first couple of sectors, knowing that he only had one lap or two laps to do it, knowing that sector one and turn one is an excellent place to take. He would have pushed so hard in the first sector of the lap that his rear tyres would have lost all of their traction, all of their responsivity by the final turns, and he wouldn't have been able to catch and overtake him by the end of the lap. So for those reasons, I do not okay. think in those Ooh. circumstances with those tyres in that race, he could have won. And this is, I think this butts up right against what Scott has been saying. So I'll, I'll give the floor to Stuffy. I'm just saying the laws of physics don't apply when Max and Lewis go wheel to wheel. <laughs> Do you remember 2021 or, or, or Brazil last year? I, I genuinely think if, I, I just think with Max struggling with his brakes and you could tell he was getting a bit anxious on the radio, a little bit nervous on the radio and getting even more shorter with his engineer than he normally does. Um, he knew Lewis was chasing him down. He knew, and he was probably wishing for that checkered flag. And that we don't know if it was going to be the case, but I think Lewis definitely had a, a bit of a tyre advantage there at the end. And I think he would have forced Max into some uh, skullduggery. We already saw Max, which I'm sure we'll get onto at some point, send it. Centre yeah, the inside next. of Charles Leclerc and new racing rules. Whether you agree with them or not, I definitely don't. Dis definitely don't agree with them. Um, we would have seen something of the like uh, in regards to Max defending against Lewis. But yeah, it's. I still think there's all, right. all there's so many different scenarios where Lewis could have won this race. And let's get Antonio in, and then Matt. I know you've got a deeper point there, and then we'll move on from Mercedes. I will say, though, Lewis does deserve full credit and it's something he's always been exceptional at and one thing that does set him apart from other drivers. Lewis is fantastic at biding his time, waiting close by, keeping the pressure on and waiting for the other driver to make an error. And that's why we saw Verstappen sweating. That's why we saw him getting agitated on the radio, because he knew that for the final good few laps of the race, that Hamilton was there waiting ready to pounce and it's something that lewis has always been fantastic at and he played really well today unfortunately it just didn't work in his favor yeah it didn't work by those two laps they kept him out too long i think it didn't work because norris decided he thought he could hold lewis off for second place when that was never going to happen it didn't work because of ricardo as we've already discussed it didn't work for a lot of reasons. It didn't work because Mercedes pit stops are just that much slower than Red Bulls. But fundamentally, 
And I know I said this is an argument you should never have on Twitter, but guess where I'm not right now? Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Leave Fundamentally, Twitter <laughs> fundamentally Max had break issues. Mm. And I would, I would argue that if Lewis Hamilton had DRS on Verstappen on the last lap into turn 12, there is no way Max can outbreak him and defend in his normal manner. And I think, I think had Mercedes got him that close, I think I think it's a, I think it's a victory for the Silver Arrows here. Um, yeah, see, I'm not sure. So, look, this is the crossover now between the the the, ha- the Hamilton topic and then going to Max Verstappen because Max Verstappen yeah. had work to do. So he had to he had to get up out from sixth place. He had decisive moves to to make, and Hamilton also had those same battles. So, like, I think Scott, like, as much as you want your conspiracy theories or whatever, like, look look at the time. Hamilton lost uh, behind Norris. Yep. Verstappen didn't lose that time behind Norris. Uh, again, behind Leclerc, I think Hamilton lost like a good half a lap. So I think you can account for a nearly a three-second difference getting through that, that traffic. So that's not a mad conspiracy theory. And I, I worry that like Hamilton's really down on himself going, yeah, I made a big mistake last week. I let everyone down. And there's just this edge where Lewis Hamilton has to apologise for shoving people off track and and making it his 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 silver arrow a missile, Verstappen does not feel that at all. But that was a factor. Verstappen cut through the traffic and cut through the pack better than Lewis Hamilton today. Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can agree with that. He made some great moves on the brakes down into turn twelve. I think it was from quite far back. Um, can't deny that most of them were clean. The one where he forced the issue was on Leclerc because he got stuck behind Leclerc for quite um, a considerable amount of laps early on in the race. And he came from so far back and goes to this old racing rule. uh, What is new racing rule? Sorry, not old racing rule, because technically if you have a will, Brad's spoken about it plenty of times on this podcast um, about how, if you get your rear wheels alongside their rear, the car's rear axle, then you're entitled to that space. But I thought the rules had changed slightly this year where they're, they're supposed yeah. to be the cards with. And it, no. got investigated, well, it got investigated by the stewards. Yeah. And they said there was no penalty to be gained, maybe because the Claire kept his foot in it round and because of the off-track nature. But I, I still believe, for me, I still believe that was that showed his necessity to, and frustration to get yeah. past the Ferrari um, and should have given that position back. So that's also... Uh, yeah, swings and roundabouts there, but could have thrown it into Lewis's direction. But yeah, I don't think you can argue that Lewis kind of he doesn't go for that gun ho attitude anymore. He's more no. smart about his his overtaking. Like with Lando today, he could have gone for that move when Lando blocked him in turn jinx, one. Yeah, jinx oh, okay. too late into the corner, but he lifted off. He like was like, no. I'll just do the cut back because I got the better tires and grip. Ooh, okay, Whereas if he was a bit younger, he might have. <laughs> Taken the slipstream yeah. and tried to slip it up the inside. Okay, so let address that that um, overtaking move on Lando Norris first. I think that was so. So I was going to criticise you when you said, "Oh, he doesn't go for the gung ho attitude." I do. I do feel that he's restricting himself. So there's a psychological thing there where he goes, "If I crash, that's more of a big deal, and I failed." Whereas Verstappen isn't restricted by that, and ultimately that that will cost Lewis Hamilton from here on in to the rest of his career because he's a quote unquote role role model isn't he? And I think he's aware of that. He doesn't want to go skittling every, everyone. And he, when he makes a mistake, he goes, oh no, oh, it was my bad. I'm so sorry. Verstappen doesn't say that. 
if he causes an accident. He goes, that's what you get if you don't leave the space and walks across the racetrack. And, and that will limit Hamilton. But that move on Lando Norris was absolutely sublime. Watch it back in sector three through the Istanbul ripoff section. Hamilton had a run on Lando Norris, but not enough of a tyre delta to hang it around the outside. I think Lewis Hamilton knew there was no way he was getting around the outside, yet he kept his nose in there to make Lando Norris defensive to ensure that he had DRS again up to turn one. And that was so smart that I I assumed he was going to get past him on turn one. I started typing it in the notes and I looked up and I went, oh my goodness, I just in time to see Lando Norris cut very late and really, like really defend very, very hard against Lewis Hamilton up the inside. By the way, we didn't see that when he was defending against uh, against Verstappen. Maybe he doesn't want to ruin their new Bezzy, their next Bezzy barbecue or, or golf round or paddle ball or whatever they do. Very, very late, very hard defense. And then Hamilton, very smart, does a you know a brilliant cutback. So as critical as I've been of Lewis Hamilton wheel to wheel, that was that was incredible. But I did want to point out one thing, Scott, which is that uh, whilst Max did struggle against Leclerc for longer, Verstappen didn't have the same tire delta that Lewis Hamilton then had later in the race. So it was a bit of an easier overtake for Hamilton against an ailing Leclerc. Matt, well, I want to get back to the brakes thing, if I can, because. Yes, you are right. Max used his brakes the entire race, and they still worked at the end. Yes. But specifically, the point that I want to make is his last pit stop. Did you see how he rolled into his pit box? He did not come in there full speed and stomp on the brake pedal at the very last moment. He rolled into it like grandma and the supermarket parking <laughs> or lot. Or grandpa. Or grandpa, mm. to be fair. Uh, he Because he knew he couldn't trust the brakes. The brakes weren't working the way he yeah. expected them to. And it was costing him. And the later in the race it got, the worse it got for him. So to drag it back to the argument of... I think Lewis had the advantage on the brakes. If he'd gotten within DRS in the last lap or two, I don't think Max had the card to defend the way he normally would. And I think Max was mm. pretty aware of it too. So Stop that's talking to me in the break-in zone. That's exactly why I think had Mercedes been able to get him there, mm. he would have he would he would have been able to make that work. That said, I'm not really going to ding Mercedes here. Yeah, one stop, two stop, whatever. They were about two, two, two laps late. They gave him an extremely good strategy that were it not for about five other things would have gotten him to max before the end of the race and given him a chance to pass with better tires. Mm. Yeah. So it's like the difference between perfect and very, very good. We're splitting hairs here. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so had Red Bull been any worse, and had Verstappen been any worse, they wouldn't have won the race today. So it's nice to kind of see them being tested. So, like, Matt, like, you'll remember 2018, 2019 were some of the best performances of Red Bull. And actually, they they had such a big effect on the race with their very forward-thinking strategy. So they, they this was like a Red Bull of old. You know, they would roll the dice. They would force the front teams to go, oh, well, we had this steady plan, but now Red Bull have, like, pitted three laps earlier what what are they doing what are they up to and so it's almost been a shame this season with Verstappen's dominance and Red Bull's dominance that we haven't seen them be able to stretch their legs because when they need to they are very aggressive on strategy they are perfect on the pit stops I don't think the the Verstappen long pit stop was the pit crew's fault but the the strategy was there they they have vision as a race team and uh, yeah it was just nice to see them today they had to win it they did and it was it took everything they had from the driver and from the team to make that happen and honestly just 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 the <laughs> the rub of the green a little bit of luck when it came to norris thinking he might hold off hamilton mm. that that alone was the 2 seconds you're looking for okay but a lot of times we say okay there's a number of drivers who could have you know won this championship but but antonio like there's not not every driver would have won from Max's position today. Yeah, I don't think Max's own teammate would have podiumed from his position today, to be quite frank. Uh, to I be think... fair, I did say anyone in that car. Not, well, not the, not the nerfed number 11. Oh, uh, oh here we well, go. <laughs> the thing is, I've, I've tried to come up with every possible explanation for Perez's shocking and embarrassing performances both in quali and races and sprints but from confidence to trying to run a setup that matches max's that doesn't suit him i don't think anything can excuse how bleh he is at the moment there's no i've i've talked about this a few times there is a difference between a good driver and a great driver and it's intelligent driving it's you can be a great defender you can be a really really good at on the straights or something but if you aren't driving intelligently and with a certain flair that you only see the greats having, you're not there. And the thing is, Perez isn't even nearly there at the moment. He's having small errors that are ruining his races. He's making small, consistent errors that are completely screwing him in qualifying. He's getting track limits where Max isn't even coming close. It's Everything is just not clicking with Perez. And like I said, I don't know if it's because he's lost his confidence, whether he's trying to run a setup that doesn't suit him because he's so desperate to be treated the same as Max is. 
it's shocking. And mm. I, I frankly think his performance today was really, I mean, P5, where was he? How many times in the race did we actually talk about him? How many times in the championship have we even spoken about him other than to say, gosh, Max is making him look bad? Uh, so my strategy of trying to be really positive about Max so that no one would talk about Perez, that didn't that didn't work, did it, Stuffy? No, quite not. Um, that didn't stop Antonio from going in, but I totally agree with two everything that she tackle, said. Two-footed tackle, two-footed tackle. It was everything that she said and, and all of the below. It's, it's a combination of everything. Look, he was actually matching Max in pace at the start of the season. I think we've spoken about it a, a number of times on, on here before. And look, quite evidently, they have two very different driving styles. Um, it's been quite well documented and it's been quite well documented how Max likes his car more pointy. Uh, Sergio is more understeery. He likes to deal with that. Max hates that. Look, Max is the quicker driver. If he can unlock that potential from his driving style, it makes sense for a team to focus and direct their development to one particular driver. Perez, unfortunately, he is a good driver, but he's not as good as Max. And that's the difference. He is just lacking in confidence and then driving a car that he just can't deal with. But to touch on Red Bull, it's interesting. (laughs) I feel like they're dangling a little carrot in front of the rest of the grid at the moment because they've they've quite clearly stopped bringing up grace to this car. they They are focusing on next year. And it's like, let's spend the last five, let's spend the rest of the season testing our chops. Let's give them a little bit of hope. And (laughs) while they bring their brand new fancy upgrades and let's test our pits and keep us, keep us on, on edge and keep us like performing at a high level and test our chops so that we're ready to (laughs) roll again next year. Okay. So looking at the panel, Antonio is desperate to get in with more Perez slander. So Matt, uh, what have you got? (laughs) I'm I'm surprised at this actually. There is little defense for Perez in his recent races. He oh has God, been that's not better. I'm going to use the word abysmal. Oh, Jake, Matt, that, and that's polite. No, I'm being I, polite here. Okay, but we've and covered. You no, know I'm being polite. We've covered it. It's covered. But despite his abysmal performance recently, I'm going to say P5. He had Russell <laughs> ahead of him. He had Leclerc ahead of him. He finishes ahead of them both. I think P5 is where Red Bull need him to finish for a Constructors' <sighs> Championship you know, point you know, of view relative to Max winning. And that, look, if you look at how he drove in Qatar and you look at how he drove now, don't get me wrong, I think he's capable of better. All right, all right. But he has got the thing back on track. He passed championship rivals. He got important points. Well, they're not important points for the team. The team's already won the Constructors' Championship. Who am I kidding? But for himself, he limited damage that needed to be limited. All right. And he made positive forward progress. And most importantly, he got no penalties for nothing. (laughs) Okay. Anybody? All right, man. He didn't drive off the track 72 times. And. Like, you're going to laugh at me and try and minimize this. But when you're in the mental place that he was in, and I say this as a performer, and I say this as a former competitive athlete, when you're in the mental place that he is in and you come around to this, you got to look at that as a big step forward. Amazing. Right. Very quickly on this. Antonio, then Scott, very quickly. Oh, 
little baby parrots. Yeah. You've done so good. You didn't crash today. You yeah. didn't come. Yeah, I knew 20. that was coming. I knew that was coming. Scott, Scott, no, move on. He's, try- uh, he's trying so hard uh, and he's in such a difficult mental uh, space. Is he? Is he? Or is he one of the most competitive will... drivers on the planet and should be doing better in the most dominant car of all time? I won't have it. He is in one of the most fantastic F1 cars ever engineered by the biggest engineering genius to ever live, Adrian Newey. And he's putting it in P5 and we're patting him on the back. I could do better. <laughs> it's shocking. Antonio, the last time I, I saw will... you in a motorsport vehicle, you fell out of it and lay on the ground unconscious for several minutes. Uh, Scott. And I was still faster. <laughs> I will just say, Danny Rick earned himself a bonus point today by holding up Lewis and Lando. <laughs> so <laughs> Perez, uh, Perez might be out by the end of the season if Danny keeps doing what we uh, want him to. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Right, I'm not going to lie, that was that was emotional. I think I've put up with uh, a lot there and I would like to thank my panel for never holding back. But I would like to be a bit more positive because I think I have been too quick. I don't know why I want to dismiss Lando Norris. I don't know what it is. I, I let my fan feelings come to the forefront and I, I am very clear that, that what I want to happen might influence my analysis of what I think happened. So I keep looking for chinks in the armour of Lando Norris. So I don't I don't know why he's funny, he's personable, but there's something about Lando Norris that makes me not a fan of him. So I'll be open with that. I'm not a fan of Lando Norris. So when Piastri was getting his good results and getting his sprint race win and doing well in qualifying... I was very keen to go, hey, this is Piastri doing well. But also, hey, look, it's kind of showing up the driver that I'm not a fan of. The key thing that has made Piastri look good is A, A, that he is, he is good. He's undeniably good. That's fine. But performance on tyre wear and challenges when you have to maintain that tyre wear over a Grand Prix different, a distance is the main differentiator right now between Piastri and Lando Norris. I don't think that that is controversial. This kind of Grand Prix, this kind of tyre strategy, this kind of race is is at the heart of what the turbo hybrid era, the Pirelli era has been about. And in this era of Formula One, Lando Norris is showing that he has all the skills to be a potential future great and a potential future baddie for me, because I don't mind if the people I don't like are good. They can be the Death Star. They can be the bad guy. That's fine. But Lando Norris is showing that if... Mercedes, if McLaren are in the the battle for the driver's title at any point in the next couple of years, he can be there to lead McLaren, and I think he's showed that today. So, who are the who are the big uh, Norris fans or stands in in the crowd? So, okay, so we've got uh, Rankin, Antonia Rankin, Antonia yeah. J Rankin on Twitter. We should do the promos in mid show. Okay. Mix the broccoli in with the stew uh, on TikTok. Your Antonia F one. Nope. Oh. F1 Antonia. F- Every F- time. Sorry, F1 Every Antonia. Um, you're, if you search Antonia Rankin F1, you will find Antonia on Instagram, on TikTok, and on Twitter. And we'll put all those links in the show notes below. Those people who have been following Lando Norris passionately and believing in him, I think they're getting rewarded right now. Yeah, I'm. Lando's a driver that I've been very excited about seeing his development, especially over the last few seasons. I think he has 
huge potential. He's a great driver. He really is. He's got such good race craft. He's always, in, almost always, I think, engaged in very clean, good battles. You know, he doesn't he doesn't have the shoe mechanisms that perhaps we saw in an early Max, but I think he's really, really got world champion in him. So I, I think he's great, to be honest, Lando. And yes, he's personable. He's great for the sport. He's a fantastic figure to have. Um, but yeah, no, big fan of Lando. Really excited to see if M- McLaren do come back up, which I hope they do, given their heritage in F1. I think he'll be winning races left, right and centre. And uh, Stuffy, uh, Norris today, obviously the qualifying performance was was good, but he also picked his battles and defended well. So annoyingly, as a Hamilton fan, he was like, no, I'm not in a race with... I think they identified for, fairly early on. They went, no, we're not going to hold Max, but we might just hold Hamilton. But when you see his his defensive style, his wheel-to-wheel style, I think a lot of that is down to you know sim racing. You and I uh, you know, are big into the sim racing community it gives you a lot of options to try, you know, racing manoeuvres. And like, you know, Lando Norris doesn't mind racing the likes of you and me on iRacing and jumping on and going, all right, I'll see what Scott does. I'll see what happens when Scott sends it up the inside at Cota. I, I, I can say that I've shared a track with Lando in the virtual there world, but I, I, I haven't raced him, no, because he's just way, way too quick uh, for my So, so my yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got similar. So <laughs> I think I've been on track in iRacing with... Fernando Alonso, like a bunch of GT drivers, um, Roman Grosjean. And my, my big thing was that Roman Grosjean nearly lapped me, but I managed to hold him off. So by the end of the race <laughs> at Interlagos, it was like, that's actual Roman Grosjean behind me on a sim. Uh, but yeah, um, but, but these drivers that, that go on there, that go on the sim, genuinely see it as a, a way to develop their racecraft. And I'm not sure you'd have seen many people on the F1 grid now defending into turn one quite in the way that, that Norris did. Yeah, I mean he's he's aggressive. He wants that first win, but obviously Piastri's beat him to it. Another sim racer who I can uh, I've crashed into actually on <laughs> uh, on sim racing, so that's my claim to fame. Um, when he I can say I've uh, crashed into an F one race winner, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's got the raw pace. He's quite evidently showing his experience that he's gained over the years compared to Piastri, obviously with his tire management, specifically in Suzuka um, today as well. I, I'm sure we'll touch on it in a second. Piastri was very unfortunate with his um, with his contact with Ocon. Not really too much that either of them could do. Um, it was just so light, but unfortunately, it gave it, it gave him an issue, an engine issue, which he had to retire early. Which, after a poor qualifying for Piastri, he he made a, a hell of a start, showing his uh, talent as well. But yeah, Norris was doing really well, and I I I don't know if. It, if McLaren maybe gave up on that win too early, um, they pitted, they pitted Lando first, expecting to undercut Max, who seemed like he wasn't dropping in pace um, on the medium tire, and I just didn't see him going onto another set of mediums, uh, sorry, another set of hards that he had available, making up that much time with with the undercut, even though the undercut was strong. Um, on Max, who still had pretty relatively good pace on the mediums. Uh, so I feel like McLaren kind of accepted their fate a little bit too early, considering how much Lando truly wants yeah. that win. Like, I imagine he might be, he would be disappointed if that's genuinely the case as well. Because um, I was a bit, I was a bit, uh, 
baffled by that, to be honest with you, because he, he came out behind Max as well. And as soon as he came out behind Max, he was never going to catch him. Mm. And it was all about defending from Lewis. Uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's, I'm sure that first win is going to come. He was quoted in an interview afterwards saying he still doesn't expect it by the end of the year, even though they're doing really well. But um, I suppose that's playing down your chances. And if something happens, happy days. The the secret to happiness, Matt, is is low expectations. And uh, you know, I say that as a married father of two. Yeah, I think the problem here, I think everybody got to turn one was like, it's McLaren's day. They are going to win this. And the fight with Max was Well, good. not everyone. Right, this is it. Like, I got a bit of Slack. In our Slack group, in our Patreon Slack group, if you want to see that, patreon.com forward slash uh, Missed Apex, if you want to support us, uh, highest Patreon-supported podcast in F1, thanks to you guys. But I, there's so many McLaren fans in our Slack group. It's, the vast majority seem to be uh, McLaren fans. And when I suggested, after qualifying, that, that they would be ultimately doomed on race pace, people got quite upset at me, saying, why are you throwing... You know, why are you throwing cold water on McLaren's chances? It is just because when tyre wear is a factor, McLaren have struggled. I don't think that's slander. That's just the way their car is this season. And when you've had Qatar that covered that up or uh, races that are solid one stops and they only really stop once because you have to, that's been a bit covered up. But in this kind of race, it's exposed. Yeah, well, I mean... Dang it, you just took my oh, point sorry. there. Well, I've got to sometimes say the smart thing. <laughs> literally, if you've looked at the lap times, you could see throughout the course of the race, McLaren losing out to Mercedes because as good as they have made that car, in the specific circumstances of the ride height window they needed to be to get around the track with the bumps, they don't have the management of the tires that Mercedes has. Why? And it's, it's, it's Tell a... me this. Tell me this. Is it a case of you get a car that can do one good lap in qualifying and then you work on the race pace later or is it something inherent that means you have a car that happens to be better at qualifying than race pace? Well, all cars have like, you know, we talk about the tires having windows where they perform optimally. And cars will have a similar thing especially in this ground effect era. With the ride height settings, there'll be a set. There'll be a set of ride heights where that car is optimal, and I think if McLaren is in that window. They were like Silverstone, for example. They are very, very competitive. But as you move them out of that window, they begin to suffer from balance issues, from inconsistent downforce that takes a bigger toll on the tires. The tires heat up, and then it takes laps to cool them down. If we think back to the sprint which I can barely remember because it was like just <laughs> ungodly boring. But if we think back to the sprint and we look at what happened to Piastri, he essentially, uh, my understanding of it was, he essentially just lit up his rear tires. And by the time they cooled back down, he had fallen almost entirely out of the points. And, and um, signs with the softs, the same thing. Once, they, once those tires overheat, you really have to be gentle with them Till the temperature mm. goes out of them. And while you're busy doing that, you're losing seconds a lap to all of your rivals. And McLaren, as good as their car is, isn't great at these at the higher ride heights that are needed at this track. And I would say the same is true of Red Bull. Red Bull were at a complete disadvantage. And this goes back to the thing with Mercedes having been stuck with higher ride heights. I'll say that correctly now throughout the season is 
optimized for this track. So we see it play out in the margins here, but that's why Hamilton caught and passed Norris. And the difference from McLaren to Red Bull is why he couldn't quite catch Max, along with all the other stuff we already said. Yeah. So just to touch on that about tires and why they are the way that they are, I read a really interesting analogy on reading. Oh, all right. Well, I'll explain it. Thank so that you. Guys <laughs> have to read. You're so welcome. Basically, uh, the elastomers in tires that make them stretchy and responsive are in formations like meatballs, basically. And as they heat up and they have loads put on them, these meatballs stretch out into spaghetti. But if the tire gets too hot, meatballs. The, the shape, like okay, the, okay. Imagine the the oh, little. Oh, this is going the way of Matt's pub analogy, but I'll allow it. Okay, meatball particles, <laughs> optimum temperature, good temperature, stretch into spaghetti, go back into meatballs. Oh Too gosh. hot, stretch into spaghetti, stay in spaghetti. Tire not responsive, this bad. Tire optimum temperature, come back into meatball, brilliant. And the reason this is an issue in Kota is because this happens to the rear tires and not the front tires. I'm I'm hungry is all I know. <laughs> That's how I'm hungry right now. I have completely lost my train of thought. I hope that made sense to uh, to everyone watching and listening. So I have got a plan to delay talking about Ferrari because that's what's coming up next. I, I think quite a good topic is, um, and I'm wary of the time and I'm, I'm wary of um, Scott and Antonia falling asleep. I will fall asleep, but I've, I'm not allowed to go upstairs today. I just Nick just dumped um, a pillow and a duvet, and I'm actually sleeping in the, the studio tonight. Which is like, don't, do not come in here at 2 a.m. and wake me up. So that's what I'm dealing with. But I have got two topics, which is the sprint weekend. Did it add or take away uh, from the overall uh, event? And turn one. And then we can focus on the misery of Ferrari. Okay, turn one, Scott. Scott, stuffy, toughy. I will say that you have got my, my, you have got, you're the owner of my favorite sim racing stream simply because I just, I don't know how you keep your calm. And the, the fact is, like, someone will, like, you know, wipe you out and you'll go, oh, no, no, a bad thing happened. That was bad. Oh, well, let's go to the next race now. And then now, and then when you do lose it, or because your cat has turned off your PC, or you're finally, like, fed up, like, I see that inner anger seething through like a volcano, yet somehow you stay calm. And that's the reason you're a good sim racing streamer, and I, I could never do it. Yeah, I do try. I, I, I was doing a, a league race the other day and my my will failed oh, on me. Uh, mechanical, yeah, mechanical, mechanical failure. And uh, yeah, I get frustrated at myself more than anyone else um, through years of playing golf and breaking many golf clubs. So yeah, I try and hold back my anger so, as much as I so can. So I'm a frustrated golfer as well. The, the, the similarity between golf and sim racing is you get so angry and you have to remind yourself... I, I spend all my time doing this and spend so much money. And, I, and, and this is, and I'm only this good. <laughs> like, what, like what a miserable <laughs> human I am that I've spent all this time and money and I'm no better than this. Uh, but go and check out Scott's streams. We'll have links in the show notes below and you should also follow him for his hot takes on social media as well. Turn one. I'm going to you for, for this as, a, as our, our racer on the panel. 
But turn one is one of the most interesting, you know, turns. We had the incident with Verstappen and Leclerc that you referred to earlier. We had Lewis Hamilton on the outside on the sprint race. Why wasn't he penalised for, for going off track and, and keeping that position? We had Verstappen and Russell both maintaining their positions off, off track today as well. So A, why did that happen? Why were they not punished? And B, the, the most fascinating thing about that corner is you essentially have cars converging at right angles. You have one car sweeping around the outside and another car just beelining it to the apex and narrow. I, I, I don't think there's a better turn one for racing in Formula One. Yeah, turn one's great. It's, it's such a unique corner that there's, I don't think there's anything quite like it that I can think of any of the tracks that I've raced online or that I can think of that F1 goes to. Um, it's almost like it's, if you look at it from kind of a, a bird's eye view, it's almost like a tick like a small tick, the way that it, um, the hairpin works in an essence. So there's so many different lines of attack. You can go really yeah. wide and try to cut back. I mean, one of the most satisfying moves to pull off as a sim racer or to even watch on TV is the cutback. When someone just <sighs> allows that guy to outbreak themselves and then you just go straight back on the inside with the grip and just go, thank you, see you later. And it always provides a bit of drama at the first um, first lap as well. We didn't see that today, but we've seen that over the years where people have taken the tighter line. And then, of course, because people are coming in from a wider line, they then get catch a wheel on the front wing yeah. and there's incidents. But yeah, it's, a, it's such a great corner for racing. Okay, but what Italian dish would you most compare that to? More like like a tagliatelle, a, a panini, uh, a carbonara? A, a, a lasagna. Yeah. So, so many layers to it. Yeah, that, it's like a lasagna, Antonia, turn one. I have to say, I would compare it to La Sauce at Spa-Francorchamps. Um, similar kind of thing where you're cutting back on yourself a fair amount. Obviously, it's different because at Cota, there's the chicane, whereas at, at um, Spa, you've got to get a good send out of mm. La Sauce in order to get up Eau Rouge Radion yeah, well. More... But no, it's it's a great circuit. And like you said, one of the better modern circuits, especially that feels like it has some character and feeling of feeling of racing yeah. about it that a lot of the more recent tracks don't seem to have but no i i always enjoy the race at um at kota i think it's a really nice one to have on the calendar and it brings some really unique challenges for the cars for the drivers but it is gorgeously wide i will say <laughs> yes. turn one yeah it allows for so much space and you see drivers i think the television angles are a bit deceiving but you see drivers look like they're going really quite deep into turn one only to cut back in do a late apex on it or an early apex sorry on the turn and getting a really good send and i think there's a lot of really good ways you can take that as a driver to still get a mm. good exit which keeps things exciting but yeah no yeah. I'm and there's fan. um and there's a few corners like that as well stuffy isn't there so like there's a few places where you can you can give a little bit and then you know, if, if only they didn't have this rule where you can now shove people off track, it would be if you had to give any car that was alongside you racing room, we could have seen fights go on for multiple corners. Like we had Sonoda and one of the Haases in the sprint race. They were side by side for half a lap because neither of them, for whatever reason, they chose not to shove each other off track. The second you can shove someone off track, that's the end of the battle. Well, yes, there's there's certain drivers who we know on that grid who respect uh, racing room and those who don't. And the ones that do respect racing room, we see what, as we racing fans, want to see, which yeah. is 
battles lasting for multiple corners. That Sonoda one, I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it yet from the on sprint. The sprint race, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't shown on TV. If you go on Twitter, searching Sonoda Magnuson, they went for half a lap. It was brilliant. Pure racing. That's what we want to see. And this circuit provides that. And I think, as Antonio alluded to, the wideness of the track and the nature of it, where it has different corners, it has higher speed, fast corners, which um, put more load on the front tires. Then it also has the slower sections as well, which has puts more load on the rear tires. So there's a balancing act that has to be played here. And I think it's no surprise that we see the circuits like Silverstone, like Circuit of the Americas, which have those different style of corners, a mixture of those corners, but are also high speed, that we see some of the best races because strategy comes in the wideness of the circuit allows these big wide cars to go side by side compared to some of the smaller circuits we go to. And yeah, it's just, um, it's a great circuit all around more, more of this please. All right. Even though it's 1am here in the UK, I have several things I want to yell about. So uh, we do have to get to Ferrari, unfortunately. Uh, So it will be the awards, as usual, that we'll end on. And then uh, before that, we'll have Ferrari. But but I do want to talk about the sprint weekend. So this does feel like the Emperor finally standing there butt naked and everyone going, Hey, I, I can see his Ghibli bits. So, and I think that was because Max Verstappen in an interview, said, look, uh, this ruins the surprise of of Sunday. This basically gives you a a preview of the show. Basically, Verstappen pointed out, you know, a lot of the stuff, Matt, you and I were complaining about when the sprint weekend first started, which is it's an undercooked version of a Grand Prix. You can't just have a mini version of a Grand Prix and stop it a third of the way through. You have to do something distinctly different. And and it's not. The, The sprint weekend was saved in guitar, because half the grid was on a different tyre strategy, or was that the sprint race before it? I've lost track. So unless you have something bizarre happen, the sprint weekend, the sprint races are always dull. You have one one or two laps of action, and then it settles down into nothingness, or you have a safety car early on, which chews up five laps, and then there's no opportunity for anything to happen. And in the spirit of Antonia and her analogy, I would compare this to a, a, a third cooked rice. So F1 is asking us on a sprint weekend to to have three-minute boiled rice. Who would cook rice three times? That is just monstrous. Go. Get into the seat immediately. (laughs) No, I I think the issue with sprint races is as much as you might personally dislike them, or I might personally dislike them, I think it was fair to explore the potential of them. Okay, agree. I, I think... There may be a way ultimately to incorporate something like that into a Formula One weekend that would be interesting for people, either with uh, historic drivers or junior drivers. I don't know. It's not a problem I want to solve right now. But I'm going to argue with you. The real problem with sprint races is they don't sell more tickets for the circuits. And I think that was one of the big reasons they were being explored in the first place is the idea if we had racing every single day on a Friday, on a Saturday, on a Sunday, we'd see more people at the circuit and we'd get more engagement at the circuit, which after all is paying what I would like to call a not insignificant fee for Formula One to come race there. But from what we heard over the weekend from the chairman of the Circuit of the Americas, that's not the case. Sprint races are doing 
absolutely bupkis for ticket sales. And that might be something that causes Formula One to seriously reconsider Mm -hmm. having them because they're more expensive for the teams. I think generally the drivers don't enjoy them as much. And the theoretical concept here that light cars on different tires would lead to interesting racing isn't really working out often enough to make it worth the effort. I actually completely agree. Like Boring. No! <laughs> That's not what we do here. Go all on, right, all right, boys. <laughs> yeah. I know it's late. Let's calm down. I think, I, I, I agree with what Verstappen said. I think it gives us an unnecessary preview into what's going to happen. Yes, and it takes it the does. dull off of the race yeah. a little bit. But also, uh, they're too short, but then sometimes they're too long. I just, they're a so really awkward length. Have two, two races. races, just two full length races. Well, because we're watching it and we're thinking, oh, if there were only a couple of more laps, because his tyres are about to go and this strategy, there's no strategy to them really, which is what grinds my gears. Because I love to see how the different strategies can play in the race. And for example, today, that was one of the main things that kept the race exciting was the fact that all these drivers were on different overcut, undercut strategies. But the sprint race is too short for any meaningful strategy yeah. or pit stops, etc. There's a, there's going to be safety cars lap one that cause the rest of it just to be completely boring and stagnant. They just don't do it for me. I just thought there'd be so much more to them. And I think little things could make them more interesting. For example, all of the cars have to start on the same tyres or you make it long enough to warrant a second pit stop. It, there just has to be something because they don't contribute anything more to a weekend they don't add an extra layer of excitement i disagree with all of you i love them who has time to sit down <laughs> no, and watch a two-hour race on sunday uh yeah no i i've been on here plenty of times and said i'm not particularly a fan and the, what i've noticed recently i've i've had a couple of people approach me and say they're they're confused they're confused yes. by the, the the qualifying on the friday yeah. and then People saying, oh, why is Max not on pole on Sunday? Well, it's because two days ago, we had a completely separate qualifying for the race today. It's just, as you guys said, I pre—I think we appreciate that they've tried something to make it more exciting and to try to maximize what is, in essence, their business and every property of it. But I just don't think that it's particularly worked. Um, I don't, so much so, I love F1. I absolutely love F1 and I think this weekend, because it was in an evening, was the first time I've actually bothered to sit down and actually watch a shoot, a qualifying for it, or shootout, as it's now referred to, and a, a and the race itself. And while it was quite enjoyable, um, it was just I feel like I'm getting I'm getting old. As when I was younger, I was very much like, Hang why on. are these drivers not allowed how, to go? Scott, 100%? how old are you? Scott, how old are you? I'm 32. I know I'm younger than you. No, no, no. That's no, no, no. That's still a pretty gross old age. Don't worry about it. That's that's pretty but grim. What I'm, what I'm saying is, when I was younger, I was very much like, why are these drivers not able to go 100 percent all the time? Mm. Why does there have to be strategy? Why I didn't get it. But as I've got older and learned more about the sport, I appreciate it more, and I actually realised, yes, that strategy is yep. is part of motor racing, and it is what makes races interesting, and the obviously Qatar was a bit of a failure. It was a bit boring personally from my perspective because they did 52 qualifying laps pretty much full out and it just didn't work. And the sprint race is kind okay. of similar. It fizzles out very quickly. And then we're sitting there waiting for the race to finish so that we can concentrate on the next day, which is where mm. it really matters. Antonia. Yeah. And I think you touched on this banners like as 
F1 fans, you know, stuff you're saying, we're, we're all huge F1 fans, right? Surely for a sprint weekend, we would be more excited for it because there's more racing, there's more F1, but we're not. We're not sitting here thinking, oh, this is going to be a great weekend because look how much F1 we get. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't carry the same sparkle. I don't, and it's just sparkle. not Sparkle. Does it, does it bring joy? That's the, that's the key question. And I, I feel like it's just, it's, it's too much and every single element is diluted. So even if overall it's 10% better, each individual element is only 80%. So that does not spark joy for me. All right, good. Okay, last subject before the awards, and it's Ferrari. And talking about Ferrari makes me so sad. I've developed a fantastic uh, tactic for dealing with that, which is that I put all my panel on screen and I say, Matt, you're in charge of talking Ferrari. I will see you in four minutes. Oh, wow. What a surprise. Here we go. Um, yeah, Ferrari went from pole to uh, not pole. Congratulations on that winning strategy. Um, I don't know. From my point of view, it was never going to be their day for the previously mentioned ride height reasons. I feel like they actually had a lot of positives in terms of their one lap pace here. But this was not the track to see if they're really on top of it or not. Antonio. This feels like pass the parcel, except with like a really horrible, nasty parcel that no one really wants to touch. Fruitcake. Yeah, you just yeah. Consi- every holiday you mail your fruitcake to the person who sent it to you and it just never gets <laughs> consumed. It's, I just I can't keep having the same conversation. I mean, you know, Leclerc on the radio saying, oh, plan C sucks. Why am I on plan C? Well, because, <laughs> it's because if you get race. any... I'm so bored of hearing all of these letters from the alphabet that aren't near the front of it. You know, why are we on plan H on lap six? Like, I'm so sick of the the strategy. Yeah, it wasn't there. And it was never going to be a circuit that suited them. Of course, we didn't know that. They're not on top form at the moment, especially a circuit like this. But... From from pole position, all to slip down to P six for Leclerc is just horrendous, and for neither of the drivers to be on the podium, I think, was so poor from Ferrari today, and so not acceptable for the caliber of team that they are. But I've said it before; we've all said it before. So I, I would hate to bore our listeners because I can't keep coming up with synonyms for mediocre. So clearly, Scott. Putting signs on the winning strategy and ahead of a clerk shows that there's been a shift of power at Ferrari. Yeah, that was an odd one. I don't understand how the team with the highest degradation on their tires decides to do the one strategy that requires tire the best tire management. Try and <laughs> make that make sense, Ouch. people. Ferrari strategy 101. Um yeah, I mean, if I'm Leclerc, I'm a very angry man. And he said, why have I had to let signs through? I mean, it was a comedy show all weekend, to be honest. Even I've, I don't like to call out individual people, but I've made comments before uh, or brought up Charles Leclerc's engineer in particular. And he nearly gave Charles Leclerc a heart attack in qualifying. I don't know if anyone saw this in on Friday where he went, lap time deleted. And Leclerc was like, what, 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 what are you telling me? He's like, He's like, Verstappen lap time deleted. And he's like, tell me the name first, Xavi. And it was just comedy gold. But that's just kind of highlights what Ferrari um, have kind of been going through these last few years. And today just was the latest episode. 
That's the thing. There's an ongoing joke online about Xavi, his race engineer, being his biggest hater and his biggest oh downfall. Oh my god! And really? It, but, but I see where they're coming from. They don't. They don't seem like they're on the same team ninety percent of the time. Charles sat there in a strop in the car because he's not happy with the communication, and surely that's one of the most basic things. You talk to your driver in a clear, confident, concise way, execute your decisions with the confidence that you've calculated them correctly, and you know why you're doing what you're doing. Not a uh, uh, plan D or plan plan C, or or do you want to stay on the one that's really not working for you, or should we switch you to a different one that probably also won't work for you? We have no idea. We've just pressed a random letter generator and said, go for that one. How Leclerc doesn't trust his own engineer, the person who is meant to be his closest confidant on the radio. Come on. Okay. Admittedly, (laughs) it's almost as easy as taking candy from a baby to criticize Ferrari. Okay, do do it, do it. No, I agree. Go, Go for it, do it. Take that candy. Take that candy and you eat that candy. I refuse. I'm giving that candy to the baby and I'm going to watch it choke. (laughs) I would save its life first. Um, Steve, can we get an edit on that? Yeah, we're going to need an edit. Sorry, that that was comedy that went very wrong. Um, I want to bring up what I think is the silver lining for Ferrari this weekend. And that's qualifying and Charles Leclerc sensibly being conservative and not getting his lap time deleted, the lap time that ultimately gave him pole position. And so my question is, I have been a longtime critic of Leclerc, not because he's not a good driver, not because he's not fast, but because when push comes to shove, he always has this idea that he can go slightly faster than the car is actually (laughs) capable of. And is this a new leaf for him? Are we finally seeing the maturity we've been waiting from from Leclerc. I agree. I think one positive that I think Ferrari can take away from this weekend is Charles's performance. Ignore today, and um, we always knew he was probably going to go back down the grids, not as obviously he had a lot of assistance from the strategy team today, but he put in a great lap or great performance on Friday. He did pretty well on the um, Saturday as well. Was it was he P two? I think it was P two on the sprint shootout. So much F one over the weekend. Yeah. Um, yep. But after a couple of poor performances recently, with signs being the man of the hour, winning Singapore and putting in those front facing performances, Charles was kind of back at it again this weekend. It's just a shame that it's ended on a sour note with the strategical. Are we hearing ourselves right now? Aside from the race, he had a great weekend. You mean the main component (laughs) of the weekend? It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault, though, was it? Let's be honest. It's the team. I would would love to do. Well done. He did really well not to get track limits in quali, so he kept his pole up. This is how low the the rules. What what are we saying? Congratulations, Charles. You didn't break the rules in quali. And oh, (sighs) yeah, you had a really great weekend other than the main part of the weekend. This this is how low the bar is for Ferrari. That's what I'm saying. And and I'm agreeing. Like, but are we having to go to these lengths to find the smallest thing to compliment? It's like like being in school and like the person who gets zero out of 10 in every test gets one out of 10. They get an award. It's like, what do you mean? We're rewarding mediocrity in, in the finest sense. And it is so time that we stopped handing drivers and generally speaking, handing bare minimums and going, oh, you did so good. They did not. They did horribly. I have never been more grateful that this is a remotely recorded podcast. Otherwise, we would all be in physical danger. Matt. I just, okay. 
everything you said about the team and the performance in the race is true. But I'm still going to come back to, <laughs> I have been waiting years, years to see Charles Leclerc Decades. not drive into a wall, break his transmission, crash on the first lap Baku, when Monaco. he was the fastest yeah. car. I've been, I've said it over and over and over again. His weakness is he feels like he has to drive 110% and he needs to learn how to drive 99% and still feel like he's driving 110%. And I just, the sense I get from his qualifying performance this weekend is that maybe he has personally turned that corner. And I would classify that as a big thing, regardless of how Ferrari, the team, or he himself finished in the race. We won't know until we see it again, but it's the most positive sign I've seen from him since we've been making this complaint, which has been like pretty much like what forever. Yeah. I will just say after my um, rant there, I'm a big Charles Leclerc fan. Love Ferrari. Oh, oh okay. Good. Late, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're never going back there again. I think they're fab. No, I, <laughs> I, it's, it's going back to what we've always said, which is your hardest on the people that you yes, want to agree, do well, agree, you agree, know, agree. and I'm, I'm sat here and I'd love to root for Ferrari because they've got a great lineup and they could be doing so much better than they are, which is just why it's frustrating. Yeah. Welcome to the land of every Ferrari fan. Let's move on to the podium. All right. That was uh, one of my favourite race weekends of the year. And uh, I, I suppose it's a, a fairly low bar when you come to overall competitiveness to say, well, we saw a genuine battle up front. Even at Singapore, we saw a different winner to Max Verstappen. But what we didn't get to see was Max Verstappen mixing it with this grid. And I, I truly believe that with Red Bull, we are seeing one of the best drivers with one of the best cars in one of the best teams fighting in Formula One. And it would be a better legacy for that best driver and that best car and that best team to be fighting against quote-unquote worthy opposition. And today we just got a glimpse of what it might be like if in this regulation set in 2024, McLaren, Mercedes and Ferrari turn up with something competitive to fight Red Bull. I wouldn't get my hopes up too much because Red Bull have all but abandoned their 2023 aspirations. It's a bumpy track that perhaps Red Bull are not quite on, on, on uh, you know, got, got their grips to. You know, same thing we saw in Singapore. Uh, if I'm struggling with my words, it's because it is 1.15 a.m., but all I'm saying is that we might be seeing a little bit of a false dawn. But if we, if, we, if we just dream hard enough, if we pray and sacrifice something to the F1 gods, maybe they will reward us with a competitive 2024. And maybe if we could suggest one thing to sacrifice to the F1 gods, I would say uh, Alpine. No, is that I, your mic drop? Is that just really? I want rid of Alpine and just I honestly, really? with, with all the new investment and all the sports people, <laughs> I honestly those are the people you'd get rid of. I thought Not I the said that had to start in the pit lane because they don't even know which way up is. <laughs> I thought I said that in my head, but it came out loud apparently. So yeah, Alpine, everyone's tenth favorite team. But yes, yes, we haven't mentioned Aston Martin at all, who had to do uh, who who got things so wrong. They had to start from the pit lane. But this is a good opportunity to mention those things in our awards segment. So the first thing we do is give out a good thing award. It's the thing of the weekend. 
Friends! Okay, I'm definitely going to get told off for that because that was quite loud and everyone else in this house has been asleep for about four hours. So, thing of the weekend, let's go to Antonia Rankin. Antonia, what was the thing or person or concept or time or just ethereal feeling of the weekend? Gosh, that's very deep for 1am. Mm, yeah. um, I'm going to actually give mine to Max Verstappen for okay, good. two reasons. The first is that he actually held his own under pressure, which he hasn't really been all year. So, you know, good for him. He's a bit out of practice in that aspect. And to that note also, he recognised the person behind him because he hasn't seen Lewis in his mirrors for a while. Yes, he hasn't had to use so, his mirrors for a while. <laughs> yeah, props, props to him for looking behind him and going, oh, there's Lewis Hamilton. So, yeah, thing of the weekend. Good job, Max. Nice. Stuffy. Scott. Scottifer. What was your thing of the weekend? My thing of the weekend kind of brings us on to my second conspiracy theory of oh, the nice. evening. Is the green team of Aston Martin. And I'm giving it to Alonso because after a shocking Friday and Saturday for him and the team in general, while they did take the opportunity to break Park Ferme and change some setup options, and bolt all of the brand new upgrades onto um, Baby Stroll's car, Alonso was still ahead yeah. of him. And starting from the pit lane was Fine. around ninth or eighth, I think it was, until, and you can see the air quotes here, um, figuratively, if you're listening on um, one of the many podcasting platforms, um, had to retire due to a floor issue. <sighs> Oh, how convenient. And the conspiracy theory is, and is it really a conspiracy theory if your dad is a billionaire but owns the team? Um, Lance, Alonso's car is being pegged back <laughs> in performance to make Lance Stroll look better because now, because of that retirement, yeah. Lance Stroll finished in the points after a couple of weeks of getting absolutely tanked in the media, rightfully so. Alonso now looks the gap there doesn't look as big, does it? And he now looks a bit of hang friendly on, PR. On. Okay, hang on. <clears throat> Here we go. Scott, no. Yes. Lance Stroll has shown repeatedly through crashing into the wall at Singapore, amongst other things, that that proved how committed he was. Yeah? He his his dedication to crashing has shown how amazing he was. And as his dad said, he has been unlucky. And that's the only reason. He's been super unlucky. That's the only reason there's been a gap. And and just for you to suggest that that huge PR push now coincides with a gap between him and his two-time world champion teammate closes. How dare you? How dare you, Scott? I know. And I, my last bad thing of the weekend, guys. I've got oh, no, hang more. on, hang on, hang on. If we're moving on, though, Antonio, I think you had a related thing. Uh, well, no, it was... Can I announce it being the dedicated Mercedes fan here today? Okay. It's just been confirmed that Lewis Hamilton oh, has been no. disqualified from the United States. Are you Grand joking? Prix. Are you actually joking? It's come from the one and only Chris Medland. If it doesn't <laughs> come from him, it's not true. And it has come from Chris. Wow. Wow, oh, wow, wow. Why does it have to be my part of this segment as well? <laughs> in all the Mercedes well, merch. I mean, like, the people listening back wouldn't have known that it happened exactly at that point. So you could have finished the Aston Martin point. However, uh, we did this. Yes. It just like it keeps on coming. Because Luke Smith is reporting that Charles Leclerc has also been disqualified. And you know what that means? Logan, Logan Sargent, Sargent has scored a point. <laughs> okay, well, well done to Logan Sargent for scoring. That's a that's an achievement, and it's come off the back of a lot of criticism. But if you want to talk about 
like a default point. You know, you can talk about a Grand Prix where four cars started in the pit lane, two cars retired immediately, and then two cars were disqualified. Forgive me for not doing jumping jacks, Antonio. Can I just say, if how many times now has Signs got a podium from a race after not actually being on the podium? Wow. Yeah, he's inherited. Can that be my bad thing? Can that so be Signs has got a podium. Thing? My goodness. Oh, geez, it's all changed. Because how it? many how many times has this man been posthumously or post racist? <laughs> no, posthumously is like death. I don't think that. Well, I don't think we can... after the death of the race, yeah. how many times has he been put onto the podium? This poor can... man hasn't had any champagne. Can I just add to this as well? Um, there were four cars post-race uh, that the FIA randomly test for the planks um, <laughs> after a race. So there's a few cars out there that could have possibly also have breached this rule who are now benefiting from this. It just so happens to be that the two of the four randomly tested cars were Charles oh, and man. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, Charles's been disqualified. Charles's been disqualified. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. So yeah. I'm getting such Brazil vibes here. You know where you know Brazil in 2021 where they had the, the little roller that they pushed through the DRS flap and it's like, oh, it's not quite going through. Let's get 18 people behind it to like shove it through. Boom. Okay, yeah, he's disqualified. Oh, it, it just happens to be Lewis, does it? It just happens to be Lewis, the first plank infringement, and you're getting my raw hamfosi here in real time. The f- what, what other disqualifications have I we had for the to. plank? All that because suspicion. They're going to find him a million pounds now. All the I'm suspicion. Gonna have to pull, I'm going to have to pour cold water on that spanners. I'm going to have to turn the, the heads here. <laughs> no, mean, that's fair. Come that's on, fair. this is this is randomly, randomly tested. Of, of, hang um, on, of all the controversy no. with planks and all the technical directives and all the stuff around the areas of like the 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 the, the, the measuring area disappearing around the Red Bull, the technical directive being fired at that. It's Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton specifically gets his podium taken away for a plank violation. Is this happening? Is this really happening? And it's happening live. It's happening live. So that's my raw reaction to it, Matt. I don't apologise for it. I just want to know, if I was the FIA and two people failed that inspection, I'd be going back and look at everybody's plank at this point. (laughs) And I'm Mm. curious to see if they do that. Because, I mean, admit it. If you're a scrutineer and you have randomly chosen the following people and two of them fail you're thinking maybe there's a larger issue here and the whole grid needs to be looked at mm. all right so sorry so just not only has Charles Leclerc finished <laughs> been obviously finished sixth then been disqualified <coughs> rub it in his own teammate he had to let buyers now secure the podium Amazing. That's absolutely clearly, amazing. clearly, Signs is now the number one driver at Ferrari. I, I, look, this is off the back as well of yes, we know we find Lewis Hamilton a lot for crossing the track, and that's normally the end of it. But we're also going to super double, super secret investigate him at Cota because he's a role model. Off the back of that, and off the back of we're now increasing the maximum we can find people, and and then you know now we get here like there's been so much stuff around the plank. And it, and it just happens. It just happens to be Lewis Hamilton, not from sixth, but from that second place. All right. So this podcaster is calling shenanigans. I am un, I am deeply unhappy. Is that your bad thing in the weekend? Uh, oh, hang on. Wait two seconds. Oh, oh no. no. You missed the apex. Right. I'm going to take a moment to calm down and ask Matt. Matt, what was your thing of the weekend? Well... Uh, you mean aside from doing our podcast so late? You know what? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go there. My thing of the weekend 
was having the chance to watch Hamilton chasing down Verstappen and having that be in the realm of possibility that he would catch him. Okay, fair enough. It's nice to see a race at the end where you where you think that could happen. The strategies, everything played into it. End of the day, it's two of the best drivers on the planet chasing each other down, and it was just fantastic to watch. Great. Even if it all didn't mean anything at the end. My thing of the weekend is, no, you shut up. I'm in a bad mood now. Okay, so the Missed Apex Award goes to, to me, it goes to uh, Lewis Hamilton for for failing magically somehow to have his plank comply with some rule or other. Okay, Antonia, what Missed the Apex for you? You, It can be me if you want. (laughs) I have so many words normally and none of them are here right now. I just... how how do you fail that technical regulation? It's so big. Be- well, it the could be Mercedes know. then. It could be Mercedes for failing that technical it's, regulation. So yeah, yeah, and and it is it is though because stuff like this is so textbook. You just don't run your car to the ground that low, especially Mercedes and Ferrari, who were the two teams that arguably struggled the most with porpoising. They know full well about ride height and all of the regulations that came on along with it. Given how much stress was put on it last year, how have they let this happen? I mean, it's nuts and. I mean, you know, fair enough. It's great. It's given us a fantastic result. You know, interesting for Perez as well. A bit of a lifesaver for him in terms of closing up that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, shocking. I'm a bit shocked. And that has serious financial implications as well, doesn't it? In the constructors championship, Scott, do one of your conspiracies, and then I can say that you're wrong. Can you do the (laughs) conspiracy? Well, another another rumor is that Perez, a different Perez rumor now is that if he doesn't secure P2 in the championship, he will not retain his seat for the end of the year. That's the rumour going around the paddock, apparently. Okay, uh, Scott, who missed the apex for you? Haas, in general. Yeah. Because there was, was, I saw hashtag Haasball. They've got a brand new big update. Basically, everything's brand new. And they just, where were they? Uh, I'd like to quote Gunther Steiner. Gunther Steiner has been quoted a few times recently regarding an 11th team that it's quality over quantity and we need we don't want teams who can't bring anything to the grid well i would say at this moment in time or for quite some period of time now Haas have not brought any value to this grid so yes they're my uh the way you said that made me think you were about to say like to quote john keats but no you went gunter gunter steiner Yeah, I can't remember what happened last week. But did you not just earlier in the show talk about the amazing racing between Magnussen and Tsunoda? I mean, Haas has clearly brought at least two halfway decent drivers to this fight. For 17th place, was it for? It was for... It wasn't even shown on TV. I had to go through the depths of Twitter <laughs> to find it. Fine, 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 fine. Be that way. Who hasn't done a um, missed Apex Award? I think it's you, Matt. Yeah, no, no, because obviously, if we're going to look at who missed the apex, the people who started in the pit lane are clearly the ones to look at. And while you can ding Haas, who waited all season to bring their giant update to a session that only had one practice before you had to lock everything in, I am going to point my finger at Aston Martin, which is so sadly lost that they put an old floor on Fernando Alonso's car. 
a new floor on Lance Stroll's car because they just don't know what's going on. And then after they did that, the floor failed on Alonzo's car and they had to retire him. So I, I hope they got some usable data out of that because they were fun when they were like looking like they might win a thing. Jeez, I mean, holy Williams 2019, guys. You know, so let's just cover the whole car in FlowViz and put on like the stuff from 2014 and see what happens. All right. That's, and my, like really kind of where I feel they are. And my mistake Apex Award goes to me, and I'm blaming it being half past one, and my normal veil of neutrality. I feel like it's slightly slipped, like my mask of neutrality just slightly fell off, Matt. How do you think I did? I think. I think I might have given my my personal biases away a tiny bit. I'm pretty sure yeah. given the uh, hour. Yeah. You probably got away with it. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a midweek show of some sort coming up. <laughs> but please, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us this late at night or for downloading us. And please, if you've got a second, tell your friends that Missed Apex Podcast is a pretty good place to catch up with stuff post-race. But most importantly, go and follow my panel. All the links will be in the show notes below but follow future tv and international social media sensation antonia j rankin i promise you you will be able to say oh i was following and listening to antonia years ago because she is a future megastar scott's too old to make anything like meaningful of his life but his stream is pretty good Scott, don't give me that look. I'm, I'm telling Love people... Love you too, Spanners. I'm Love telling you too. people to follow you. I'm also way past, you know, boiling point. a weird way of doing it. Okay, in the show notes, go and follow Scott. He is absolutely fantastic. And follow me. I'm the best one. At Spanners Ready, at MissedApexF1 on Twitter. Wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.